0: This is the second week um, on this section about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And what we need to point out, of course, is something I'm sure all of us actually believe, that the greatest privileges that we can have in the Christian life is to pray. One of the greatest privileges of the Christian life is to pray. But, of course, often we don't see it like this. We don't see it as a, a privilege. We don't see it as, as a, a pleasure Sometimes we see it as a duty, um, hard work, uh, an optional extra, or something that's pretty boring and repetitive, but Jesus teaches much about it, and the gospel will help us to get excited about praying, and the gospel will also help us to be better equipped for praying. Now, commonly, this passage is called the Lord's Prayer, and we really don't mind what we call it, but that's a man-made title. Many commentators believe that the title, the Lord's Prayer, is best given to the prayer of John 17, which we studied in our prayer meetings uh, in the the summertime. This prayer is the model prayer, or the disciples' prayer. I was going to call it the disciples' prayer, but it could not work out whether to put the apostrophe before the S or after the S, so it decided, hey... Just go with the model for prayer. But that's what we have before us. The model given to us as disciples about how we ought to pray. And of course, it's a great model prayer. Because it helps us to see all the fundamental parts of prayer. In fact, it helps us, it helps us see all the important parts of life. All the things that we need to be, to be seeing as priorities. It's a classification of the things that we ought to live for and pray about. The priorities are given to us in the order that God sees them. And so we need to take it very, very seriously, this pattern, this roadway, this railway track for life and for prayer. What we see are His priorities, and what we should see are our priorities for life, for service, for ministry— for worship, for prayer. His priorities, our priorities. John Link pointed this out to the children. It's simple. There are no long words in this particular prayer. No strange theological expressions. No obscure phrases. It's brief. It's just 65 words in Greek. And no petition is given more than 10 words. And it's comprehensive. Everything you need To get involved in your prayer life is here in this particular model of prayer. But briefly, before we get to it, we need to just reconsider what we looked at last week: how not to pray. Don't try to impress people. Verses five and six, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. They performed for an audience and, and they picked their locations very, very carefully. You know, the synagogues where lots of people would gather or the street corners where people would pass by. Jesus says, pray for an audience of one, our Father. And in verse 78, the second thing he says, don't try to impress God with your babblings or your verbal diarrhea, as one of the commentators put it. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He condemns meaningless repetition, but He encourages sincere and genuine requests. Nothing wrong with repetition if the repetition is sincerely motivated. So now we get to uh, this model of prayer because I think the last time we we studied this, we took it phrase by phrase. So what we're trying to do is bring them all together in one. And we're going to go very, very fast. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time in each, but we'll, we'll try and cover all our bases. Now to this model of prayer given to us by Jesus. We have a prelude our Father in heaven. And then we have six requests three about God and His glory, and then three about man and His need. So let's think first of all about the, the, the prelude. I suppose the model for prayer starts with this phrase Our Father in heaven. You know what? If we're going to pray, we've got to know God as Father. We, we need to address God as Father. And one of our greatest privileges is to call the creator God father. He invites us into his family. He calls us into his family. He saves us into his family. And then he says, I want you to pray. We're born again into his family by his grace. We're adopted into his family. And the Bible uses both of those expressions. And then our father invites us to pray to Him confidently, naturally, and biblically. Isn't it fantastic? Now, if we are to get to grips with prayer, we need to learn an important lesson. Who we're praying to. He is God, and we are not. He runs the universe. We don't. He's in charge. We're not. But here's the, the problem, folks. When we don't pray, it is because we've forgotten who God is. When we don't pray, it's because we've forgotten who God is. A lack of prayer means, you know what? We think we can run the show all by ourselves. I can manage my marriage, I can run my family, I can run my business. I can run my world without you, God. So why would I bother praying to you? You see, folks, it's not enough to be sincere. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be loyal to your church on a Sunday morning. We need to know who God is. And Jesus tells us who God is. He's our Father in heaven. That's the basis for prayer. And R speaks of community, doesn't That's very important. We're not on our own. And it's not about me. We're part of a family. And we're in it together. In fact, Jesus constantly draws us away from meism, me, myself, and I. Don't we make life about me, myself, and I? And Jesus says, no, it's not about you. It's really about me, says Jesus, and my people, and my cause, and my glory. Jesus invites us into the bigness of his story. And the bigness of a story involves millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people. The bigness of a story involves time, now, and eternity beyond. The bigness of a story involves God's perfect will. So instead, of him inviting us to say my father here are some of my ideas he teaches us to say our father what are your priorities what what's your agenda our speaks of community father speaks of relationship he's not a distant despot he's a loving close hands-on father isn't he a hands-on father relationship is essential for prayer if we're going to engage with it and then and heaven that little phrase remember no word is ever wasted from the lips of jesus in heaven means authority this refers to the seat of all authority and power and dominion and so when we pray we are talking to a friend in high places to use that little phrase our Father in heaven. He is sovereign. He rules and He reigns. He is the King. So we've got to know who God is. Because prayer is based on this knowledge of who He is. Our Father in heaven. And then we have two sections. Which are really sort of hinted at where we're going to go with this. Here's how we might put it. His priorities are our priorities. Verses 9 and 10. His name, his kingdom, and his will. Those are his three major priorities that he lists for us here, and therefore we need to take seriously. These should be our priorities because they are his priorities. Hallowed be your name is the first one. His first concern, and therefore our first concern must be the sanctity of his name, the glory of his reputation, and the honor of his holy being. And So we revere, we honor, we glorify, and we obey him as singularly perfect. Hallowed be your name. To hallow, of course, means to make holy or to treat holy. So, let me put it like this. God is not the man above. Oh, I hate that expression. I think I know what people mean, but please don't say that. At least don't say it in front of me. It only annoys me. The man above, or the big guy in the sky, or our best buddy. He is holy. He is awesome. He is awesome hallowed be your name. And I know there's a balance between relationship and reverence. Of course there is. There's there's a balance between God being our friend and he is our friend and this holy consuming fire that God is. There's a balance between Abba, Daddy, Father, Pater, and him being holy, hallowed. There is a narrow line, but folks, we've got to try and walk that line carefully. Now, the word name, hallowed be your name, name is a summary of his being, who he is and and what he has done. It reveals aspects of his character. Now, today, when we use a name, we we tend to use it to um, be a label for something or someone. It's just a label, so we can identify someone or something. But in the Bible, a name was very often used to indicate character. And this is especially true of God. So in other words, his name, hallowed be your name, means hallowed hallowed be your nature, hallowed be your essence, hallowed be your character. There's so many names for God. So many. There's there's a lot of disagreement about how many there actually are. But Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our victory. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Rohai, shepherd. Elion, Lord Most High. El Shaddai, Almighty God. Adonai, Lord. The list goes on. His name reveals who He is. And he reveals himself as the great I am, the self-existent one, the self-fulfilled one, the creator and sustainer of all things, the perfect and eternal one, with limitless power, holy in all his being, full of love and grace. We just cannot have enough words to describe who he is. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your character. The essence of your being. So if you want to know how to pray and if you want to know how to live, then we've got to hallow His name. So folks, we've got to learn not to misuse His name, not to be flippant with His name, and not to be self-seeking in the use of His name. His priority is His name. Our priority should be also His name. Hallowed be your name. The second priority that he sets before us is your kingdom come. I'll be honest, far too often I'm concerned about my kingdom or our kingdom. God is concerned about his kingdom. It's his priority and therefore it should be our priority. Think of rule. Think of reign. That's what we're thinking about here. We're not thinking of castles and knights and maidens and moats and pomp and ceremony. We're thinking about the rule and reign of God. Your rule and reign come. That's what we're praying. In all aspects of life, the kingdoms of the world will rise and fall, but God's rule and kingdom will endure forever. God says, I am king and I have a kingdom and I want my kingdom to come and I want you to want my kingdom to come. That's what he's really teaching us here about prayer and about life. How does his kingdom come? we, We pray your kingdom come. What are we saying? Many, many things we're saying, but here are three that I want to mention very quickly. The conversion of sinners, for instance. This is his agenda. It should be our agenda in praying and in living and in ministry to rescue the rebel. You know today, if you are not a believer, if you're not a Christian, the kingdom can come today into your life. The kingdom can come in your conversion if you simply will repent of your sin and receive salvation. John 3 verse 3, what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, no one can see the what? The kingdom of God unless he's born again. John 3, verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the what? The kingdom of God, unless he's born of water and the Spirit. We need to pray that people will be converted. That's what what we're praying for when we pray, your kingdom come. And then secondly, the commitment of believers, so that once we come to faith, we've got to be transformed by his grace and his truth, Uh, into the likeness of a son. Paulie mentioned that, I I think, in her announcement, into the likeness of Jesus. Later on in the sermon, we're going to study, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Your kingdom come. That's what He wants. He wants us to seek first His kingdom. That means commitment. That means Loyalty. It's not half-heartedness, the half-heartedness that so many Christians show to their spiritual living. It's not consumerism, but commitment. That's kingdom coming. And then the third thing we could mention as uh, part of the answer to what is your kingdom come is the coming of Christ. That's what we should be praying for. How many times do we pray, Come, Lord Jesus? It's the second last verse of the Bible. We'll get to it eventually on Sunday evenings um, in our studies in Revelation. Jesus is coming. It's no pipe dream. Personally, physically, visibly, suddenly, gloriously. He's going to come. Your kingdom come. It's his priority, folks. It should be ours when it comes to our praying and our living. His agenda over against our agenda. And so we have his name, his kingdom, and and thirdly I suppose his, his will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and we live for his pleasure. Now here again we've got a bit of a problem, haven't we? Because God has a will for me and for us. I have a will for me and for us. And uh, the two wills are often in conflict, aren't they? They're often in conflict. One must win. One must win. Which will is going to win? When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking that God's will wins all the time. God's will wins all the time as it is in heaven because in heaven his will is done always instantly completely joyfully that's what we're praying may it be done here in my life in my family in my church in my world your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it means that i, I we have to surrender my our agenda to him it means we bow before his sovereignty and say hey listen Your will is better than mine. You're wiser than I am. And it's not with your sort of clenched teeth. Okay. 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 You can have your way. It's not like that. Or it's not like with dear resignation. No. I'm supposed to say this. But with joy. And with faith. And it means change, you know, folks. The problem is with many of us that we want to enjoy all the blessings of the Christian life, but without changing anything. Without looking at ourselves critically. Without a spiritual MOT. We want to, of all the blessings of life, but without any change. And sometimes actually it means radical change. And I know actually, I I know for certain, that there are people in church this morning, you know that radical change needs to occur in your life because you're not walking closely with the Lord. You know it. You haven't been walking with him with very closely for a long, long time. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're saying, I want your plan and I want to live for your pleasure. It can mean a tremendous cost. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane? Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He said, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's not about my will, my pleasure, but his will and his pleasure. See his priorities? Here they are, three of them. They've got to be our priorities. That's what praying is all about. We're not educating God. He's educating us. His priorities are our priorities for prayer and for life. But our priorities are his priorities. the, the, the last three parts of, of the prayer. that's about man and our need. And uh, we, the first one's give me. You give us today our daily bread. All we need is met in Christ. I wonder, do we actually believe that all we need is met in Christ? Our needs in mind and body and soul? See, this request, give us today our daily bread, means the totality of all our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, but particularly physical needs. It's a broad term for all our physical needs. He is the giver. I am not I can't put bread on my table he does I am completely dependent for today for all my needs to him I'm totally dependent on him for all my needs and then guess what tomorrow it's the same thing I'm dependent on him for it again tomorrow and that's why grace before a meal is so important It's not just a ritual we go through, but we're actually acknowledging his provision. I hope you say grace before meals. You're simply saying, God, thank you for giving us today our daily bread. Because all I have is not by my wit or by my ability. It's all from him. Everything. And that means we can have confidence because he, not Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Supervalue, and I know there are other supermarkets available out there. It's he, not these places that supply all my needs, all our needs. So we can be confident in him. And we can be content because he gives us all the basics, doesn't he? And many, many luxuries besides. One day, of course... the book of Revelation will tell us very shortly, we're going to be invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And this daily bread that we receive on a daily basis is a foretaste of the eternal feasting in the presence of Jesus. That's why we should acknowledge this priority that He has for us. So feed us and then forgive us This is a very important one, folks. I know it's warm in here today, so maybe you need to nip yourself, shake yourself. Be ready for this one because this is important. This is a second priority that we have and it's also, of course, his priority. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verse 12. The greatest need of the human heart is what? It's forgiveness. And God forgives Now, note the link that we have here. Forgive us, Lord, forgive us like we forgive others. There's a link here, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It is the height of hypocrisy to expect God to forgive us if we're unwilling to forgive others, isn't it? When we feel to forgive a spouse, or a parent, or a child, or a neighbor, or a friend, or even an enemy, do you know what we're doing? We are setting ourselves up as a higher judge than God himself. If you understand forgiveness, in other words, if you've received it from Jesus, if you receive the benefit of the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you must, you simply must forgive. Now, if you're saying to me, I cannot forgive that person because they've hurt me so much, or I will not forgive that person, if that's what you're saying in your heart right now, let me say there. there there's two, there's, there's two reasons for that, possible reasons. One is you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You have not been forgiven, so you really don't know about forgiveness. You haven't realized your debt of sin and what Jesus went through for you, and you haven't received the benefit of that. You're not a Christian. Or you're not living like a Christian. That's the only two options we have. If you cannot forgive, you are a disobedient child of God. And here, in my own experience, I've learned this, the greatest barrier to a healthy prayer life is a lack of forgiveness. The greatest barrier, and I've seen this in counseling over these years, the greatest barrier to a healthy marriage or to any other healthy relationship is a lack of of forgiveness. It's like a cancer that will destroy us. One commentator says, let's get over ourselves. Let's get down from our not-so-high horse. And let's learn to humbly forgive. Time's marching on. Um, The last bit we'll we'll spend a, a moment or two on. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is his priority because it's our priority. Trials are necessary for our spiritual growth. Haven't we been learning that in our first study in James 1? Trials are essential for spiritual growth, for perseverance. But we must pray that God will keep us from the temptation that would destroy us as we go through those trials. James 1 is a powerful passage of teaching about that. And so, with humility, we need to pray, God, help me not to be deceived as I go through the trials of life, because we're going to face many, many trials of life. We need to pray for help, the help of God to see our sin and our weaknesses. We need to pray with humility, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one who would love to destroy us while we go through these necessary trials that will produce perseverance. We need to pray that we'll not come under the hypnotic spell of sin. It's like, isn't it like a hypnotic spell we're under, you know? The stuff's in front of us and we just go, we just follow it back and forward, back and forward and suddenly we're in deep. I am too weak to survive the battle against the evil one, but he is so strong. And I and we need his help. We need to be excited about prayer and we need to be equipped for prayer. That's why we're given this teaching and this model. Folks, as we conclude, let me suggest to you that we should not accept failure. You might say, oh, uh, if you just knew my prayer life, it is a shambles in comparison to all of this. And you just want to run away and pretend you haven't heard it. Don't, don't, don't accept failure. Don't ignore the problem if there's a problem. Listen, let's do it. The model is there. It's a simple model. Let's follow it. So then when you're thinking, about what well, we're going to pray for, well then, take these six things with the prelude and shape your praying around it. Or as John says to the children, if, if you can't think of anything to pray for, just say it. I was thinking of Ernie Smith, who was a, a man who had a great influence on me Um, I really haven't prepared this illustration, but it should come to my mind again. He was one of the men who escaped on the boat. Lusitania was one of the first boats was torpedoed in the Second World War. Does that ring a bell? One of the first boats torpedoed by the Nazis during the Second World War, he was on it. Ernie was on it. He was going to Princeton in America to train for ministry, and he he survived it. But his life was never the same. He He was a shell of the man. He used to come to the Crusader Leaders Prayer Meeting, and he taught me a lot about prayer. Because you what he used to do? He'd say, Our, he did what I sir sort of did this, this um, morning in the praises. Our Father in heaven. And then he'd go off to talk, think about the fatherhood of God. Hallowed be your name, he would say. And then he would describe what that meant. A man who was a shell of a man because of what the ordeal he had been through, shell-shocked. And he prayed using the model that Jesus gave him. Let's not accept failure. And let's not ignore the problem. Let's do it. We should be modeling this in our prayer meetings. Folks, let's not come to the prayer meetings and simply recite the same prayers we do week in, week out. Let's think about what we're praying. Let's use this model to shape us. And whoever prays from the front... Should follow this kind of model. So we do it together. We encourage each other. Before we finish, I think I have time for this. You'll, you'll forgive me if you don't think I have, but <laughs> there you are. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, a poem. I cannot say R if I live only for myself. I cannot say Father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say, hallowed be your name, if I'm playing around with sin. I cannot say, your kingdom come, if I'm not allowing God to reign in my life. I cannot say, your will be done, if I want my way all the time. I cannot say, give us this day our daily bread, if I'm trusting in myself instead of God's provision. I cannot say, forgive us our debts, if I'm nursing a grudge or withholding forgiveness from somebody else. I cannot say, lead us not to temptation, if I deliberately place myself in its path. The model for prayer from Jesus, the model for life from Jesus, his priorities are our priorities, and our priorities are his priorities. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Let's pray to him.